My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you some money. My job's not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. Put it in context. Call me, 1-800-743-CNBC, or tweet me, at Jim Kramer. I know. You're probably wondering why I'm wearing these noise-canceling headphones. We just had a wild day that started strong, only for the averages to collapse right before the close. Dow finishing up two points, has to be declining 0.16%. NASDAQ uh, losing 0.28%, which suggests that any rally is going to be precarious when you've got a couple of major earth-shaking events coming later in the week. So what the heck am I doing with these headphones? Simple. I'm blocking out the noise tonight because I want to get it right. I want to be able to think clearly now without the crying baby of tariffs or the snoring beast of the Uber IPO distracting me. I'm wearing these headphones on a placid day because to borrow a line from stock sage Johnny Nash, I can think clearly now. The sell-off's almost gone. I can see all obstacles in my way, the Uber deal and the trade talks. And without those dark clouds, we could be in for a bright, bright, sunny, bullish day. Yep, I'm about to suggest something heretical ahead of the Uber IPO and the president's 12.01 a.m. Friday deadline for his tariff increases on Chinese merchandise. Now, you know I've been worried about this stuff. It's been right to worry. But come next Tuesday, I think it will be behind us. And as long as you've raised some cash, as I've advised, you can take advantage of any weakness to do some buying going forward. Just remember to wear your noise-canceling headphones brought to you by Logitech, which actually had a good quarter but sold off anyway because it's not going to run up in the print. Now, why be constructive after so many down days? Well, hold it just a second. Sometimes it pays to be constructive into the two next days because these two dark clouds could make things look very grim on Thursday and Friday, and you're going to hear, trust me, tomorrow you're going to start hearing the siren song of panic, and nobody ever made a dime panicking. So let me tell you what came into my head when I settled down with the sounds of silence, who, by the way, happened to be an old friend only to my Saturday Night Nature. Silent point one. However you feel about Trump, he's right that the Chinese need a deal more than we do. And he's right that their diplomats backtracked from 100 pages worth of agreement and negotiations just in the last week. Remember, the White House is divided into two camps on trade, the laissez-faire camp that wants a deal and is always leaking to the press, and the hardliners, not so leakable, led by Robert Lighthouser and Peter Navarro, who keep telling the president that China can't be trusted. So when the Chinese tried to walk back their early concessions before they even signed anything, Trump naturally put the hardliners in the driver's seat. Why not? They're right. You know, you may not like the way the president conducts policy via tweet, but I think he's right to play hard here and the Chinese know it. That's why a deal may still be on the table. All China has to do is go back to the position 10 days ago that they seem to be so happy with, and Trump will give them a stay of execution on the higher tariffs. Silent thought number two. Let's say that doesn't happen. So the 25% tariffs go into effect and the end of the world happens. China retaliates. You know what? Incremental negative for the economy, but I'm a lot less worried about it than most of the experts. Why? Because President Trump watches the archaic Dow Jones Industrial Average like a hawk. It's his equivalent of the Nielsen ratings, and this price-weighted index gives an inordinate amount of influence to, to high-dollar-amount stocks like Apple and Boeing. These are both obvious targets of the People's Republic decides to go tip for tat. Why does this matter? Because if the president witnesses a major decline in the Dow, I think he'll change his policy to get stocks rallying again. 
Not only that, but I have a pretty darn good idea what he'd do in that scenario. Which brings me to point number three. If any company that's hurting pledges to cut the Chinese manufacturing cord within, say, the next two years, does this within the next 30 days, makes a pledge, they will immediately be exempt from the tariffs by taking that pledge. I think it would be an ingenious move. I wish I could take credit for it coming from, I say, say it came from me. But, you know, look, the White House could be considering it. By the way, despite all the hand-wringing about the uh, damaged 25% tariffs on $200 billion worth of Chinese imports could do to our economy, remember... This has all started with Trump slapping on a 25% tariff on steel at the beginning of last year. So we got to calculate. Like, the economists worried and scared us. How much have steel prices gone up since the tariffs? Oops! They're down! Down big! Hot rolled steel's down about 22%. Cold rolled steel's off 16%. Steel plate down about 6 You thought the bellyaching car companies were being hurt by these tariffs. Au contraire, mon frere. Point number four. You know I've been worried about the Uber IPO, especially the idea that money managers might need to do a lot of selling to raise capital in order to participate in the deal. Well, guess what? That's what's occurred. That's exactly what happened. What I feared. Yeah, the big selfie had yesterday, the breakdown this afternoon. Once the Uber deal is behind us, tech stocks like Fang and the Cloud Kings, they'll be able to rally again. Sure, there could be more selling, but the Uber bullet is almost locked and loaded in this ass of this session. How about silent gem number five? I'm increasingly confident that Morgan Stanley, the lead underwriter, is going to do a better job than I thought controlling the opening with this Uber deal. What does that mean? Well, Morgan Stanley's being very coy, which suggests to me that they have enough shares that they can sell to ensure a smooth opening for the, that's not a loser fall who buy like Lyft was, even if they use market orders, which I've told you over and over again are strictly verboten. Remember, what has to happen here? We're not worried about where the Uber IPO prices. We're worried about where the stock opens after that. The stock needs to start trading at low enough levels that the big accounts feel comfortable buying more. I think Morgan Stanley will do everything in its power to hold the opening price below 80, where these hedge funds and mutual funds will do more buying and average up to get a full position. Now, there is just one problem. The crying baby that pierces the headphones with a high decibel scream. Many institutional investors have developed hedges that get triggered if the stock gets hammered. That's not normally the case with an IPO. But Uber's been around for a long time. The company's issued a lot of convertible securities that can be bagged down. And you'll feel those reverberations in the stock at the end. Uh, Remember, if all goes well, the Uber deal could end up being, okay, not great. You know, I told you that it's too rich for me. But it won't be market-wrecking like the Facebook IPO seven years ago. Which brings me to silent slice of wisdom number six. Even if the Uber IPO does get botched, and the Chinese refuse to make a deal before the Friday morning deadline, once we get through this week, a bright, 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 shiny day could be upon us. Don't forget, we've got low, long-term interest rates. We've got better-than-expected earnings, a compliant Federal Reserve, and a fabulous economy. The fundamentals are strong, and they'll still be strong, even if the trade war escalation does more damage than I'm expecting it to, the bottom line. When you put it all together, I think you need to be prepared to take your cash that you've raised that's on the sidelines and start putting it to work in the stocks of high-quality companies as they come raining down on you. Yes, the next two days could be awful, but once we're through this gauntlet, the market could have a bright future. Once again, with my fears in the rearview mirror and lower prices to feast on if you indeed have first raised the cash. Let's go to Carl in Georgia. Carl! Booyah, Jim. What's that? Booyah. Oh, sorry. Okay. Thanks for taking my call, Tim. Sure. Recently, you featured a, a segment on Cloud Kings. Yes. And in that group were companies like BM and Workday and ServiceNow. 
I was wondering what your thoughts are on the long-standing uh, cloud company Citrix Systems. Yeah, I, I interviewed. Oh. I interviewed them. Um, I guess I interviewed them, what let two years ago. I interviewed them as part of my corporate governance conference that I throw for myself. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just not as good as these other guys. What can I say? I got a lot of the technology stuff. I mean, I would buy Autodesk before them, okay? I mean, I got a lot of the guys saw my clockies trade ahead of that one. So I'm sorry. It's not a fave. Hey, how about Dave in Illinois, please? Dave. Dave! Dr. Kramer. Bingo. Hey, uh, I'm wondering, how is shirt, cardboard, and banister-eating rescue dog Marley, or should I say Xilinx, doing these days? Well, Xilinx, the stock is smart. Marley, the dog, is a total idiot. He ate the billion-dollar whale, which is a book about Goldman. But maybe that is seminal. It's time to buy Goldman. Dave, Xilinx has come down enough that you have to buy, buy, buy. And don't look. They are still the 5G play, and they made an acquisition that's good. Dave, you know me. We buy them when they're cheap. Xilinx is never going to be real cheap, but it's cheap versus where it was. And I thank you for calling, and I'll tell Mr. Marles that he ought to stop eating pens, coffee bags, and books. John in California, John. Booyah, Jim, from out here in back of little Sacramento Valley. We love uh, you out here. Man, I got to tell you, I was just talking to somebody who was in close to the Kings. You've got some good, you got game out there. When, when I was out there, you didn't have no teams. What's up? <laughs> That's a fact. Right? Hey, we finally pulled the plug on Gilead with their games and doubled up on U.S. concrete with this uh, infrastructure play that seems like the political opponents or might be lining up with something on the two trillion thing so we we took the gilead put it in the u.s concrete what do you think of that play? you know what now is the time i do believe that we're starting to look at some things that the president's actually coalescing with the democrats including the tariffs and infrastructure i know everybody thinks everybody hates everybody and everybody kind of does hate everybody but people do want to have roads that work tunnels bridges we're tired of being a little what i underdeveloped world we used to call it third world but we're better than that anyway you know what? I think that come Tuesday, yeah, we got to get through some days. This crazy ride could be behind us. And if you raise some cash, then you too can put on your noise canceling headphones and buy it as it comes down. A bright, sunshiny day indeed. Well, man, buddy, tonight the consensus is out on China and it, it, it's a problem, but I'm going to explain. Then Kevin Plank started Under Armour in his grandma's basement 20 years ago. Today, the company opened a brand new distribution facility in Baltimore that can fit almost 23 foot wheels inside. I'm sorry, that's Baltimore from Philadelphia. And then I'm sitting down with the company's top execs to talk about the company's move to the top. Hey, how about this? Wendy's, they'll satisfy Wall Street's hunger for growth, or could the company get cooked? Oh, come on, I'm going to sit down with the CEO and have some gravy just dripping down my face like you don't get from that beyond meat stuff. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. What makes it so hard to game the tariff talks? There's an easy answer. Trump's unpredictable. And the Chinese government isn't exactly a model of transparency. Of course it can't be game, right? Uh, Yes and no. Both of those things are true, but they're not the real problem. 
The stock market deals with uncertain situations all the time. If you can't game the news, you game the players. The money managers making huge bets on the progress of these trade negotiations. When it comes to the trade war, though, gaming the players is incredibly frustrating. Why? Because there's no consensus on the data from China. We can't agree on what the numbers mean or how their economy is holding up. For example, this morning we got some hideous April Customs data showing that the Chinese exports were down 2.7%. Wall Street was looking for plus 2.3%. And it's looking like 80% of that decline had to do with lower shipments to the U.S., meaning the tariffs are taking a heavy toll. You'd think that would be a terrifying number, a huge wake-up call to the Chinese Communist Party. Throw in the fact that the Shanghai Composite has plummeted 11.5% in less than three weeks, a major reversal after the index finally started rallying off its lows earlier this year. And it sure seems like China's heading in the wrong direction, doesn't it? Or at least that's how it seems to me. But you wouldn't know it from listening to the experts who talk about the People's Republic like it's unstoppable juggernaut. The very same customs data picked up a disturbing 4% increase in Chinese imports, much higher than the 3.6% decline the analysts were forecasting. According to many reporters, this is supposed to be a positive, a sign that consumer demand is on the rebound. I see this a little differently. China's an export-oriented economy, yet it's importing more raw goods, especially natural gas and oil, even as it's exporting fewer manufactured goods. When your economy depends on global commerce, the last thing you want to see is imports up, exports down. Not long ago, it seemed like the Communist Party's huge stimulus plan was working. Then last night, Bloomberg reported a massive spike in Chinese bond defaults. $5.8 billion in the first four months of the year, more than three times higher than the same period last year. And last year, the defaults were at record levels. These numbers paint a picture of an economy that's stalling out, even with the stimulus. Yet every time we get another negative data point, we're told these numbers don't matter. Why? Because Xi Jinping is president for life. And the Chinese government plays a 200-year game. The implication being that China can take any amount of pain Trump might throw at them. So there's no way we can win. You know what? I've heard this before. In fact, that's exactly how everyone used to talk about the Soviet Union during the Cold War when I was growing up. For those of you who are too young to remember this, there was a palpable sense that the Soviets were implacable, much more than we were, that they could take any amount of hardship and they just keep coming. The consensus for decades was that Soviet-style communism was brutal and repressive. But very few people question whether it was viable. Hey, they did the lion's share of the work beating Nazi Germany on the Ost Front. Then they beat us into outer space. For a long time, it really looked like they knew what they were doing. Eventually, we realized the system simply didn't work and it collapsed from within. However, even as late as the 1970s, if you wrote that the Soviet Union was a house of cards, you were ridiculed as an idiot, just like you're ridiculed as an idiot now when you talk about the Chinese being weak. You know, look, okay, these guys were hardcore Marxist-Leninists. They believed that history was, uh, with a capital H, was on their side. And sooner or later, the whole world was destined to go communist or be bombed into being communist. But the Soviets didn't just believe their own hype. We believed it, too. And now I think we're seeing the exact same dynamic with the People's Republic of China. We're told the weak numbers are meaningless because the Chinese Communist Party is playing 11-dimensional chess. They've got war rooms. They know what they're doing. They're going to run circles around us. China had the best economy on Earth for decades, so people just assume they're unbeatable. Which is why this moment is so fraught. Last night's numbers should have signaled that China is in real trouble. And unless they come to the table, their stock market will keep plummeting, while more people will lose their jobs and more bonds default. Meanwhile, our economy is growing at a healthy 3.2% clip with a ridiculously low 3.6% unemployment and no inflation. Yet somehow people conclude that the People's Republic of China is invincible. And we're going to be roadkill. 
I think these numbers tell us that it's going to be some sort of compromise, that the Chinese will concede something so that Trump doesn't raise his tariffs at 12.01 a.m. on Friday morning. It makes sense. That would be the rational thing to do. But if the Chinese Communist Party wants to maintain its aura of invincibility, particularly with the intelligentsia, well, they have to pretend that these 25% tariffs won't hurt them. I don't know how long they can maintain that premise, though. The thing is, we don't need to believe their hype. I remember my late father telling me that Stalin, Khrushchev, and Brezhnev were all so tough from the, from the great patriotic war victory that they didn't care. They keep trying to defeat us wherever we were around the globe. My father was wrong. Now China's much better run than the Soviet Union ever was. But the idea that they can just ignore economic realities is patently false. And we need to stop pretending otherwise. Mad Money's back into the break. To thrive in the apparel game, investors demand a stock with plenty of room to run. After years of MVP returns, Under Armour was forced to play defense. Does a strong start to the year mean markets are ready to call Under Armour a comeback kid in the making? After spending a couple years lost in the wilderness, is Under Armour stock ready to make a comeback? Last week, the athletic apparel company reported a very strong quarter, but with the recent turbulence, the stock is really only up 24 cents versus where it was trading the day before earnings, and they were magnificent earnings to me. Now, this is Armour Day, which started as a way for the company to give back to its hometown of Baltimore through now a, it's a multi-channel, multi, I'm sorry, multi-month charitable event. And it spans five cities. At the same time, they just opened a, get this, 1.3 million square foot Omni distribution house in Baltimore. It, by the way, it's an old, in an old Bethlehem Steel shipyard plant to improve their Omni-channel capabilities. Earlier today, we got a chance to check in with Under Armour founder, chairman, CEO Kevin Plank, as well as Patrick Frist, the president and COO, from their amazing refurbished facility. Take a look. Kevin and Patrick, this is a great day. It is Under Armour Day. Can you explain to me what you're doing in what looks to me like a very large facility? It's Armour Day, Jim, here in Baltimore. So we've got more than 2,000 of our local teammates, nearly 3,000 in all, that are here today. We're celebrating Armour Day. It's something we've done for the last 15 or so years where we bring all of our teammates and all the offices all over the world. That's more than 30 offices today in 75 countries. And we really celebrate our team, and that's through give back. So our teammates have given more than 80,000 hours in just the last few years, and uh, that's going to be no different today. We've got uh, nearly 20 local partners here in Baltimore where we're really impacting the local community. So we have our teammates here that are working on building bikes, uh, building puppets and toys for kids, uh, and really just getting engaged with the community and letting them know uh, what philanthropy we have available here in Baltimore City. Kevin, I remember when Sparrow's Point from Bethlehem Steel closed. A lot of people felt it brought down a whole city. It seems like what you're doing with this incredibly, this relic, is making it so it's all new and that Baltimore is back because of Under Armour's persistence. Well, we're doing our part, Jim, and that's, you're right, we're opening a brand new thing. It's called the, the Omni Distribution House, as we call it here. It's 1.3 million square feet that we have. This is our ribbon cutting. We had our governor here today, Ray Lewis, Coach John Harbaugh was here with us today, too, just celebrating the opening. And really this team that we have, you know, this is the kind of facility that's going to give us state-of-the-art unlike any other brand out there. Place an order online at 9 a.m. It's on a FedEx truck by 1030 on its way to your house. So it gives us capability and speed, speed, speed. 23 football fields. 
You can fit 23 23 <laughs> Well, I got to tell you, Patrick, I really I apologize to both of you because you know how much I want to be there. But I understand. Look, you guys set out some goals the previous quarter. You talked about brand. You talked about optimizing operations. You talked about strong relationship with the customer and sustainable uh, profit. I felt after this quarter, Patrick, you are well on the way to, well on the way to doing all of those. Yeah, I think we're doing great right now, Jim. And I think one of the most important things for us right now is to continue to deliver on the plan, the plan that we laid out on Investor Day. And I think you know, our strategy around uh, you know, winning with our, with our customers, making sure that we're driving this brand back to the premium position it deserves, and also making sure that we're really driving it with you know, sustainable growth, profitable growth through you know, ROIC and, and making sure that we're driving shareholder return is really important to us. And I'm sure my partner here, Kevin, would love to talk a little bit about the brand. Well, it's, it's a fact. It's always the brand, the brand, the brand. It's got to come through in everything we do. But we're thrilled over the last two and a half years of transformation that we've been running as a company is that in order for the front bend to be there and we haven't been as loud as we want to be, you're about to start hearing that from us, but it's about getting our operational house in order. And so coming off a quarter where we're able to take inventory down 24% year over year while expanding gross margin 100 bips, you know, those are the kind of metrics you look at is gross margin is a great indicator of brand health and something that we're highly focused. So nobody's declaring victory. We need to grow in North America. We're going to win, but we're glad we've been able to build this global footprint around the world that has the position to reset ourselves here in North America and think about that next, next leg of growth. What you're seeing yeah. right now, what you're seeing is really us enabling ourselves to be executing better. You know, that first quarter this year was really important to us in terms of our ability to execute on the plan. And we're feeling really, really good about, you know, our ability to do that. And when you're here today and you're feeling the power and the excitement in this Omni Distribution Center that's going to enable us to you know, supply the end consumer, our customers, our teams from one place. Uh, it's really amazing. And it also gives us great scope for growth going forward. Yep. Now, I want to explain to people at home the key data that I was looking at. The statistic was to see if inventory went down, because that would mean that the premiumization that we want so much from you guys, in other words, brand upgrade, is happening. What I want to know, Kevin, is that with the possibility of tariffs going from 10 to 25 percent, you have been working diligently to take how much product that you source in China down. You had that 18 percent going to 7 percent by 2023. Do you need to accelerate that now or will we all be paying more? for your great new brands. Well, I, I don't know if anybody, you know, we, we, we want to focus on the things that we can control, and that's why we've done a, a really great job with Patrick and the team in place, and we let him build on that. But our, our team being able to take us from, you know, we were up towards the 30% uh, of, of products made in China. Our team's done a great job, like you said, getting that down to 15% today, uh, less than 7% in the future, less than 10% of that actually coming to the U.S. And so it doesn't have the big impact, but of course, you know, we, we think that a free trade in the, in, the, in the global market is the best thing for everybody. Yes, and I think, you know, that fact that only 10% of everything that we make uh, comes from China into the U.S. Uh, gives us a really good position at this point in time. All right. So, uh, Kevin, you know, I've been a user of Under Armour ever since you first introduced me to it. I am an all Under Armour guy. Should, should I get some shoes that have a mineral infused component to them? Right. Uh, you're talking about our new Rush line that we have that just came out. Um, it's terrific. This is actually it's a product that we introduced with Tom Brady uh, in sleepwear a few years ago. And the idea is why shouldn't athletes 
be getting better in everything they do. So it's actually a ceramic lined uh, material that actually uh, lines the fabric and it, 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 it turns the radiant heat that emits from your body and actually turns it back on itself to allow to increase blood flow. So you're talking about actually being able to enhance and improve yourself beyond a product that maybe gives you compression or some of the physical attributes. It actually has medicine inside of it that's FDA proven that actually enhance blood flow to help you recover faster, to make you a better and stronger athlete. So it's things like that that really make the Under Armour difference, which is fits our mission statement of Under Armour makes you better. Everything we do just makes you better. All right, Patrick, how much do we care that Steph Curry goes all the way? And I, I'm not talking about Joel and B. We know from Philadelphia that was a very tough game. But when you decide to back an athlete, especially someone as, I'd say, uh, uh, as wondrous as Steph Curry, what does that mean for shoes if he goes all the way? Well, I think in general, you know, when we think about what we do, innovation is absolutely key to us. I think as we think about the athletes that we support around the world and across all of the different sports, you know, for us, it's absolutely key, of course, that we give them, you know, product that enables them to perform. Like Kevin said before, like what we're doing right now with our hover technology and, and some of the stuff that Steph's wearing and also Joel Embiid is wearing, you know, it's enabling them to be better at their game and ultimately, Whatever we do, whatever we produce, we're there to make our athletes and people that engage with this brand better. And we're going to continue to do that with Steph. We're going to continue to do that with Joel. And that is our mission. Under Armour makes you better. So yeah, we want we want a Sixers Warriors final was the was the goal we had. We wrote our brackets out. So and not unlike the two teams in the Final Four for the NCAA brackets and well on the men's side and one on the yes. women's side too. So good well, things happen. Well, athletes winning in our brand. Kevin, you have taught me long view, long view, long view, journey, journey from 1998 when you moved to Baltimore. Now, how about going from Baltimore to India, which will have the youngest population in the world in five years? How's that? How did, how did that mission go? Yeah, you know, it's been a heck of a journey for our brand. This is our 14th year as a public company. And, uh, you know, what a lot of a lot of lessons and learnings. Uh, but again, a brand that really built here in the United States is still 70% of what we do as a brand and company. But the ability to take Michael Phelps, Patrick, myself, uh, we got to go to India uh, and Delhi and, 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 and uh, Mumbai recently. And it was a, an incredible experience. We got to open a new brand house and we'll have 10 stores in, in that market open by the end of this year. And just starting to see and feel the brand and watching the way that we can walk in, really not as a company that was founded on a football field or just an apparel company, but walking in as a fully built athletic brand, apparel, footwear, accessories, and of course being able to speak in a market like that uh, to the sport of cricket, uh, where we're, we're actually incredibly relevant already also. So we're, we're doing the right things in the right market, thinking globally and acting locally. I want people to know, Kevin, that you are a humble man, that when things got tough, you came to me and said things got tough, but you're always going to protect this house. I want to know how you're protecting the house now, because I think you're back because of that inventory issue. And I also just want you to describe how that's in sync with what you're doing with the comeback in Baltimore. Yeah. Well, Jim, we've been pretty clear that this is a year three of a three-year transformation. Uh, so there's still, you know, we've got wood to chop and no one's declaring victory. Uh, but we're really proud of the progress of our team, where we are. You know, we are a global brand, but we've been lighting ourselves and, you know, really focus on what we can do to get the operational aspect of our house in order. And I think this is a great symbol of what that means with our team behind us celebrating, feeling good as a company, feeling good as a brand, 
But at the end of the day, it's gonna come back to great product. And so that's our focus. And one of the great things that we've been able to build with Patrick and our team is a true go-to-market process. We've been able to implement our global operating model with four distinct regions between Asia Pacific, uh, Europe, Middle East, Africa, Latin America, here in the States. And so that's all fine and good. What the audience is looking for is tell me what it means for my 16-year-old saying, I want and I love Under Armour. That's the latest shoe. It's the latest Curry. It's the latest Hover, Hover Havoc. It's all the innovation that we're bringing to market. And now we've got a go-to-market process can deliver that on a consistent and repeatable basis. And that's what gets me really excited about. So I don't think we're there yet. I think we're certainly on the, uh, on, in the process. We're in the drive. Uh, but I love the way that our future looks. And this brand ain't going anywhere. We're going to keep fighting. And we're in the fight for sure. All right, I want to thank Kevin Plank, CEO and Chairman, and Patrick Frist, President CEO, who does so much to make this company great. And by the way, so much to make Baltimore and therefore America great. Gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on Mad Money. Thanks very much, Jim. Thanks, Jim. Have a great day. Have a great day. Great to see you. Forget Beyond Meat and its faux hamburgers. Today, Wall Street finally asked, where's the beef? And the ridiculously overvalued Beyond Meat got hammered while Wendy's, that classic quick service burger chain, roared higher in the wake of a terrific quarter. Yet, Wendy's just delivered a three-cent earnings beat off an 11-cent basis, bountiful cash flow, higher-than-expected revenue, and rock-solid same-store sales of 3.3% year-over-year. Even better, management painted a bullish picture of the future, which is why the stock rallied almost 4% today. You know it's up 23% year-to-date? I think these guys have executed a brilliant multi-year turnaround. They Still don't get nearly enough credit, which is why I'm betting the stock is more upside. Don't take it from me. Let's check in with the bankable Todd Pentagor. He's the president and CEO of Wendy's. Find out more about the quarter and his outlook for the rest of the year. Mr. Pentagor, welcome back to Man Money. Well, thanks for having us on, Jim. Really appreciate it today. Well, first of all, I want you to I want to thank you for making time during the day. I have to admit, I saw the numbers when I was doing Squawk on the Street, and I said, Call Todd. This is fabulous. <laughs> How are you able to make such I mean huge, huge? I mean the, the Free cash flow up 17%. That's remarkable. Well, how's it, well, how do you do it? Well, it was, a, it was a tough winter, as you know, Jim, uh, and second in a row. But we were able to fight through that and, uh, and really bring our brand strategy to life. Our big focus has been about having one more visit and one more dollar. And we really reorchestrated our menu to not only bring folks in on our great tasting value items, but also trade them up to our premium items. And we've got a great platform in 4 for 4 that continues to work well. You know, we now have a biggie bag priced at the $5 price point. And then we brought into this world, and uh, at the end of the first quarter, uh, a made-to-crave lineup, first with hamburgers and now into the second quarter with chicken. So we're bringing a lot of variety allowing the customer to trade up and across all of our portfolio, whether it's value or premium, have our great tasting, never frozen uh, North American beef uh, and everything made to order and customized as we've always done. Well, I've got to tell you, the biggie bag, you got off the $3 treadmill. This biggie bag, though, is such a value. Tell people what's in it. We got a bunch of them here. Everybody's going crazy for them. Oh, man, the biggie bag. So you got a bacon double stack in there. So a half, uh, a, co- a full quarter pounder of beef. You've got uh, a chicken nuggets. You got french fries and a drink. So when you think about our history around biggie, uh, this is clearly a biggie offer. And at $5, uh, great tasting food. Uh, what an opportunity to get a full meal uh, for $5 for folks that, uh, that only have the $5 to spend for lunch or a dinner. I have to tell you, for a company that's 50 years old, you're 50 years young. You're remarkable in terms of how much you follow people on social media. I know when I told you, when I just tweeted, I said, look, on a, on a great day, my wife says she wants the double. And sure enough, you guys came back immediately. But even more important, when Chance the Rapper said that he liked you to bring back the spicy chicken nuggets, a couple million, tweet, a couple million followers later, bingo, right? You brought it right back. 
It, it was amazing. Uh, you know, we got uh, the, uh, the tweet from Chance the Rapper over the weekend, and uh, our social media team jumped right on it. We made a promise if we got 2 million likes that we would bring back uh, one of our favorites that have, uh, has since left the menu, the uh, spicy chicken nuggets. And it was amazing, Jim. Within, uh, within 48 hours, we had over 2 million likes. And as we promised, we told the gang uh, and told Chance the Rapper that we will be bringing spicy chicken nuggets back uh, sometime in the very near future. Why are you guys so different in the sense that what you have fans? I mean, you really do have Crave fans and you listen to them and you make changes as if you're a two to three ch- uh, burger chain place. How are you able to, to be so flexible so quickly? Well, we've, we've got a social um, a media listening team that uh, has given a lot of freedom to operate and they can respond in real time. Uh, and they know, you know, we, uh, we did a lot of work on, uh, on our brand positioning. We did a lot of work on what the voice of Wendy's really is. You know, we're not a king. We're not a clown. We're all about Wendy, who's named for Dave Thomas, the founder. And we need to have a voice. And we've really given the latitude of our social team uh, to respond in real time and really listen to what our fans and our true customers really want. And, uh, and it's been a lot of fun. We're at our best when uh, we're talking about the quality differences on our food. Uh, and we'll continue to interact with our customers and uh, make sure they get what they want. You have said in your documents that what they want sometimes is to be at home. That's your big competition. You're capitalizing on that with some good delivery. Oh, absolutely, Jim. Our biggest competitor is food at home, and convenience is being redefined. And the original convenience was invented by Dave Thomas, the drive through window. And now we know that we got to have food delivered to folks where and when they want it. And uh, we've got great partner in the U.S. with DoorDash, working with Skip the Dishes in Canada. Um, it's another great opportunity to continue to provide access to our great-tasting food um, where the customer wants it. And we're still in the early innings. Uh, awareness is quite low, but what we're seeing is for folks that actually order us on delivery, uh, customer satisfaction is very high, and we're seeing some nice repeats. So we're encouraged by the future opportunity on that side of the business. Well, I can tell you it does carry. You can carry. It does carry because that's how my wife likes to eat it. Now, Todd, one last thing. Uh, labor costs are high in this country. I would have expected the free cash flow to be lower. How are you able to handle these escalating re- uh, labor costs? Yeah, I think it's been a couple of things, Jim. You know, we've been working really hard to make sure that uh, we price appropriately in our restaurant. And we don't want to price ourselves out of business, so we've done a lot of smart pricing. You know, doing the, uh, the, the mix work that we've done, and you think about one more dollar, one more visit, trading folks up along the way, uh, that certainly helps the P&L. And then we've been really focused on how do we drive a lot of productivity in the restaurant, whether that's labor positioning, how we work our labor guide, mm-hmm. how do we drive other savings, partnering with our, uh, our purchasing co-op. Um, those are things that we're working on hard to overcome those pressures. And at the end of the day, it's speed, it's convenience and affordability. And we're working really hard to make sure we got speed at the drive through so we can continue to serve a lot more customers on a regular basis. And you do it well. Last thing uh, I do, you know, because you look at my, so, at my tweets, we do crave. We crave the taste. Do you think as much as Beyond Meat has been a big success on the stock market, that in the end people crave great tasting food as much as they take a look at the ingredients and say, maybe I should have that because it's good for you. No, absolutely, Jim. And that's why our menu is constructed the way it is. We've not only got great tasting hamburgers, we've got great tasting chicken sandwiches, but we have salads and, uh, and we have our great chili and baked potatoes. So we have choices in the restaurant. We'll continue to look at the trends to make sure that uh, folks have other healthy alternatives along the way. But it's amazing. You get somebody to a restaurant that might be craving a great tasting salad and you smell those great hamburgers cooking in the restaurant. 
you know, you trade up a lot. And I know your wife likes to trade into that Baconator on a, on a regular occasion. So we love that, too. <laughs> she loves the Baconator. But she sends me in to get it because she's embarrassed. I told her, come on, live free. Fantastic. Bring her in more Todd. often. Bring her in more often. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Jim. Really appreciate that, it. That's Todd Better. Your presence here of Wendy's WN. It's a personal fave. What can I say? I think it goes higher. Man, money's back into the break. It is time! It's time the and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Skig? That's over the lightning round. Can you start with Bob in New Jersey? Bob! Yeah. Bob, you're up. What's shaking? It's Jim. Yeah. Bob. I'm looking into extended stay. Should I buy it? Yeah, it's got a decent yield, but you know what? I'm not shying away. It's Marriott. Marriott with Arnie Sorensen. That's our play. Atul in Virginia. Atul. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Thanks for your service and unrelenting focus on helping the small investors. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. I wish there were more people with your tenacity and enthusiasm helping the the, the retail investors. Thank you. Um, I have a question about a company called Lending Tree. Uh, ticker T-R-E-E. Look, it's Doug Lebda. I've known Doug for 20 years. He's actually just money in the bank. Go through some Bucknell connections. I think he's great. I think with lower interest rates, it remains one of my favorites. There were some people shorting the stock. They got completely run over. They became roadkill. Good for the, good for Doug. How about Medin in Montana? Medin. Hey, Jim. How you doing? I'm doing well. How about you, partner? Not too bad, man. I, I had a quick question about you for... Uh... Equinor, EQNR, oil and gas energy company. What do you yeah. think? What it's you got alternative energy and it's also got energy. And you know what? I have no energy for energy companies. We're not going to do it. I cannot believe my Chapel Trust is getting a, getting out with that unbelievable bid. I mean, I, 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 you know, I just didn't think that we would ever, ever, ever come through the misery that we got. But we got a bid this week. I mean, last week from both from both Occidental. And from Chevron, and that's why I like Anna Darko, but that's the last one I'm going for. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Wow, what the heck has gotten into Nestle, the iconic Swiss package? food company, where the stock has lately caught fire up nearly 20% year-to-date. Now, you may know them as parent of Kit Kat, Toll House, and of course, Nestle Sweets, along with frozen food brands like Hot Pockets, Stuffers DiGiorno, as well as Dryers and Haagen-Dazs ice cream. But really, this is a gigantic house of brands, including lots of Cranberry coffees. And so far this year, Nestle's doing pretty darn well. company reported two strong quarters in a row, and it doesn't hurt that they made a big coffee partnership with Starbucks last year. The story is so good that the stock roared yesterday when Nestle took its message directly to U.S. shareholders at their 20 2019 Investor Seminar. So could the stock have more room to run? You know I think so, but let's dig deeper with Mark Schneider. He's the CEO of Nestle. Learn more about what his company's doing and where it is headed. Mr. Schneider, thank you so much, sir. Jim, so nice for having me. Okay, so Mark, this big meeting, uh, I just want people to have an idea. What were the key messages that you got across to the day now? It was all about one theme, and that's innovation. I mean, customers, consumers are changing around the world. They expect new products. They expect fast changeover. And hence, version 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, people just want new stuff. People have new 
food and beverage habits, and we want to cater to those. And fast cycle times and exciting consumers under strong brands, that was the key theme. Well, I always feel that what comes to Europe is well ahead of what comes to the U.S., but it eventually does get here. Now, we have a thing, a phenomenon called Beyond Meat that just came public. It looks like that something awaits them from Nestle's that's pretty powerful. We are right up there. So uh, we've been for a while in the European market with right. the incredible burger, and it's on fire. It's already with McDonald's Germany and 1,500 outlets. And later this year, under the name Awesome Burger, it'll come to the States as well. So uh, we are deeply interested in the plant-based food uh, area. I think we have a lot to show in this area, and this was one of the key points yesterday. Will you back this up with the traditional Nestle's firepower when you do it? Yes, we have global reach. Uh, We have the retail reach. We also have a Nestle professional unit that deals with quick service restaurant owners and uh, food service operators. So this is exactly our strength and deployment that we will bring to bear. One of the great roots that you have, as I remember from my mom served Nescafe, is your fabulous coffee brands. I just got this from Kevin Johnson, uh, CEO of Starbucks. He goes, Nestle is a great partner for Starbucks as we rapidly expand the reach of the Global Coffee Alliance to new markets around the world. This partnership is an unlock for both companies, and Mark Schneider and I have been in lockstep as we pursue this opportunity together. It is both a driver of growth and a brand amplifier. How is it a driver of growth and and brand amplifier for Nestle? I could agree more with how Kevin phrased it because that's exactly the way we see it and this is what great partnerships are based on. And uh, what's been amazing here, you know, we closed this deal last uh, fall and then six months later we're out in store shelves with a Starbucks by Nespresso range and also roast and ground coffee offerings, Nescafe, uh, Dolce Gusto offerings. So 24 SKUs developed in six months that bring that unique Starbucks experience right to your home. Well, I don't go to the store. I buy everything online. Is that, can I get this online? Online as well. You know, we're on the store shelves nationally. We're also on Amazon. So, you know, we're, we're, we're on fire. Now, one of the things also that you guys have done, if you do vitamin supplements and superfoods, you've done a lot of thinking about what's good for people, but also t- tastes good. So give us a description of that. Yeah, so nutrition and health is one of our key themes. Huh. And uh, so when it comes to vitamins and supplements, we have the Garden of Life brand that's an, a unique carrier for uh, innovative products. So here we have, for example, one of those um, that's available uh, either in specialty stores or in mass merchandise, and uh, great product, uh, triple certified organic supply chain, and uh, just a wonderful, strongly resonating brand around the world, starting here in the U.S. Yeah, fantastic. Now, when I first saw this great display, I came upon these bottles, and I said, well, that's a no-no plastic. You know what happens to that. I read that wrong, didn't I? You did, because uh, it is 100% recycled PET, um, and uh, this Poe Spring, of course, PET everyone is a, knows a these. plastic. I'm sorry, yes, uh, so important to, to know that, you're right. Poland Spring, well-known around the Northeast. I mean, this uh, bottle now is also available nationwide because I think Poland Spring is a brand that resonates strongly in the water space and beautifully designed. I think it brings that goodness of Maine to all of America. All right, and also another one that I misread, and I have to tell you, I saw this. I said, well, is this headed for a landfill? Yeah, and uh, so uh-huh. this is based on what's called the loop container. And here again, reuse is one of those buzzwords right now in the industry, so avoiding unnecessary waste. And uh, so this can be literally uh, brought back to the store, refilled, cleaned out, refilled, and uh, used many, many times. So this is all part of the circular economy, and we're one of the big proponents of that. Now, uh, just to be sure, I don't want to go too ethereal. The fact is is that your company, which is based on uh, food snacks, is really a much better growth company than all of our, every one of our food companies. And yet you're really gigantic. We've been historically always focused on Crove. Crove is the single most important long-term value driver. And I think, you know, that unique laser-focused effort is paying off. Right. 
Um, when you get into that cost cut mode, sooner or later becomes a downward spiral. And hence, you know, it always has to be a balance between growth and margins, and I think we're playing that balance well. That was one of the other key themes yesterday in our investor day. Oh, it's that, so important. Uh, you've got to keep that in balance. If you throw in capital efficiency, then you've got the three major ingredients to long-term value creation, and this is what we believe in. Okay, well, you know General Mills well. It just so happened that they got ignited by pet food, but you've been early in pet food. We've been in pet food for a while. Yeah. We're one of the leading worldwide uh, providers of pet food under the Purina brand name. This Purina, that's and the old Saint, great St. Louis' own. It's just yes. a fantastic brand, yes, so very West trusted. And, um, strong values in this company that are very similar and strongly resonating with Nestle, and hence that partnership that was struck more than 15 years ago. I think that really came to, uh, to mutual advantage. And uh, we took this brand global to every corner of the world. And, um, and we're, we're doing quite well with this. Well, what you see here is going to be in the stores. And again, I want to point out for those people who keep buying Beyond Meat, do you really want to go up against Nestle? I know I sure wouldn't. That's Mark Schneider, the CEO of Nestle. What a fabulous company and a fabulous story. Stay with Craig. You know what? Cutting the cord, no cutting the cord. There are some successful stories out there. Roku's the cord cutter, but Disney with a great quarter tonight. Like I said, there's always a bull market summer. I promise to just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer, and I will see you tomorrow!